You are listening to a main session from Celebration Midwest 2014, a New Frontiers USA conference. If you would like more information about the Celebration conferences or the New Frontiers family of churches, please visit our website at newfrontiersusa.org. Thank you so much. It's such a joy to be here. Uh, after that introduction, I can't wait to hear what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I was with you right till the end, Tim, when this cheeky bit about the canoeing, <laughs> there was too much truth in that. To, some jokes you can discard, others, whoa, they get to you. So, it's, a, it's such a blessing to be with you. Uh, I was so thrilled with these four testimonies uh, tonight, magnificent, so simple, uh, so straightforward, so full of love, uh, so outward-looking. Uh, I just, wow, I'd love to have got that on video and just shared that all around to hear. Uh, pioneering heart to go into Austin, Texas, right through to uh, members of the church that's been established in St. Louis for a while. Hey, just talking about Jesus, making friends, being on the front foot, just magnificent, absolutely superb. Uh, such a blessing to be here. And I felt so much, too, that this being the 20th anniversary of our starting together, I was drawn very much to a passage uh, I'm going to speak to you from in Numbers and chapter 10. Numbers and chapter 10, and uh, it's a, a real important chapter in Israel's history. And we need to understand, don't we, that the journey of the Israelites, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, these things were written down for our instruction, this journey that they went on. This journey of people who were born in slavery and called by God and delivered by God and brought out into His purposes, this is all written down for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And so, yeah, this is a consistent book. I know there's 66 books in here, it's, but it's all the same story. And it's important for us to understand, yes, where our roots come from and how God worked this out in a small nation in order to show us, as we go to the ends of the earth with the gospel, that here are principles, here there are truths, here there are things for us to see. And here in this 10th chapter of Numbers, we see this company of slaves being shaped up into an army. They're beginning to find where they belong. They're beginning to find who should carry the holy objects, who should take the lead, who should bring up the rear guard. We begin to understand that when Moses blows the trumpet, we rally. Disney didn't quite understand when uh, he wrote, well, he did his movie about uh, Moses. And it was just really Prince of Egypt, just about getting, getting free. It's all about just releasing slaves. That was the message, really. Just get people out of there. Let's get them out of Egypt. Let's confront Pharaoh and escape. But that's not the story of the Bible. It's not just escape. It's not like, hey, you cross the Red Sea, run for it. <laughs> You're free, go for it, wherever you like. No, no, no. There's an inheritance. There's a place to go. Slaves are going to be turned into an army. People with no hope, people with ignorance, foolishness, didn't know who they were, are going to be shaped into a people of God who are going to press into the nations, who carry in their very seed the Messiah who's going to come forth and ultimately the light of the world. So a company of slaves are actually becoming the light of the world. God promised them that. 
And here in this chapter, we see them beginning to shape up. We begin to see where they belong. And I'm hearing that. I'm hearing that as I bump into people uh, through the building, as I heard testimony here last night, hearing testimony here again this morning. We feel ourselves to be a people on the move, which isn't always the testimony of churchgoers. Sometimes the testimony of churchgoers has just come to my place and make us a bit bigger. Whereas God is saying to us, no, no, go into all the earth and preach the gospel to every creature, every nation. God has called us to an amazing calling. And it's so thrilling to be here. Uh, for me, the first time that we've done the uh, Midwest celebration in this location, I know it's your second year, but it's just great to be together here, knowing that we've pulled in for loads of churches, different states, we've come together, and it reflects the journey that we've taken. 20 years ago, when we first started, we were just a very tiny little group. And I could take you to other such places. I could take you to Guadalajara, Mexico, where we used to be with one church called El Camino. And uh, we were down there a little while back, and there were 22 pastors we prayed for at the end of the celebration as they went back to their various cities. I was just recently in Canada, where we used to have one church on that east coast, and there were 30 churches represented right across Canada. And I could take you to nation after nation where, yeah, there was just one little group one little group, Cape Town, South Africa, there was one little church, and now churches all across, churches across Ghana, churches across Kenya, and on and on we go in the mercy of God. And it begins with people saying yes to Jesus, finding where they belong, realizing we're an army, and pressing into all that God has for us. So it's a joy to celebrate 20 years of progress, to stand here and to see, yes, dear friends like Tim over years, and hear new friends uh, like the testimony we just heard a year ago, I couldn't believe I'd be in a religious meeting. Hey, what a spectrum that is. From 20 years to 20 months, God's pulling together a people in His great purpose. So let's just see how this builds together in this chapter. I'm going to be actually talking about this both this morning and tomorrow morning. We'll not finish it this morning. I want to carry it over the two sessions. Okay, so I'm not going to read the whole chapter. You'll be pleased to know. But we're going to pick out verses as we go. Okay, so starting, and I'm using the New American Standard Bible. New American Standard Bible. I was just uh, thinking as David Harrington brought his uh, reflection from what John Lampherman always tells me is a documentary movie called The Patriot. And as as the hero rushes with his flag into the enemy. <laughs> Fourth of July is coming round. <laughs> Shall we have some eyes closed and some national repentance? <laughs> Shall I sing to you? I'm coming home, coming home. <laughs> okay, let's, let's remember whose flag we're under here, okay? Okay, so Numbers chapter 10, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. I mean America, okay. The Lord spoke further to Moses, saying, Make yourself two trumpets of silver, of hammered work you shall make them, and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for having the camps set out. 
verse 13. So they moved out for the first time according to the commandment of the Lord through Moses, the standard of the camp of the sons of Judah, according to their armies, set out first, with Nashon, the son of Aminadab, over its army. Verse 17, then the tabernacle was taken down, and the sons of Gershon, the sons of Merari, who were carrying the tabernacle, set out. Verse 21, then the Kohathites came, set out, carrying the holy objects, and the tabernacle was set up before their arrival. Verse 25, then the standard of the camp of the sons of Dan, according to their armies, which formed the rear guard for all the camps set out, with Ebiezer, the son of Amminadi, over its army. Verse 28, this was the order of march of the sons of Israel by their armies as they set out. Then Moses said to Hobab, the son of Reuel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out to the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us. We will do you good. For the Lord has promised good concerning Israel. And he said to him, I'll not come, but rather go to my own land and relatives. But he said, please don't leave us. Inasmuch as you know where we can camp in the wilderness, you will be as eyes for us. So it will be, if you go with us, that whatever good the Lord does for us, we will do for you. Thus they set out from the mount of the Lord, three days' journey with the ark of the covenant of the Lord, journeying in front of them for three days to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day when they set out from the camp. And it came about when the ark set out that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord. Let your enemies be scattered. Let those who hate you flee before you. When it comes to rest, he said, Return, O Lord, to the myriad thousands of Israel. Father, thank you so much for these beautiful testimonies we've heard this morning of people being a light to the world, people speaking about Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We've been singing, we know our God is Jesus. We know he is Lord. Lord, so struck this morning to think of Thomas, a Jewish man, kneeling before another human being and saying, my Lord and my God. And Father, we, we're just staggered that you came in the person of your Son, that Jesus, you rubbed shoulders, you joined hands with human flesh, you lived alongside us, men touched and handled the word of life. And Father, we thank you for his promise, I won't leave you orphans, I'll come to you. So Jesus, we welcome you. Let our praise, Lord, be your welcome. We are here for you. We love being together in your name. We love being instructed by you. Holy Spirit, please come and be our teacher right now. Come, Lord, and do us good. Come and apprehend our hearts, our minds, our wills, our lives. 
for your glory. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here's the people of Israel, no longer just a slave crowd, but beginning to be a shaped-up community, looking more like an army, marching out. And they meet this guy, Moses meets his father-in-law. Interesting kind of evangelistic invitation. Come with us. We'll do you good. There was so much truth coming out from these testimonies this morning that so excited me, the call out of loneliness into community, the call to go to a new territory. It's all in this passage. Come with us and we'll do you good. Not come to us, notice. Come with us. We're on a journey. We are going somewhere. We're after something. We're, we're people on the move. Interestingly enough, first Christians were called followers of the way. You remember that? It says they were followers of the way. They were called that before. They were called Christians, I think. They're on the journey. Jesus said, I am the way. I'm, I'm calling you to a path. And that, actually, this kind of invitation that you find, you find it back in Genesis where God begins to call Abraham and invite individuals to get caught up with him. You don't find it again until you get into the gospel stories where you find Jesus coming to people like Andrew and Simon and they're fishing. He says, follow me comes to Matthew, who's a tax collector, follow me. And he just calls people into an involvement with him. And when Jesus walks on the beach with Simon, Andrew, James, and John, he's got four guys, and that's the beginning of the global church. Four guys walking on the beach with Jesus, and that's the beginning of a church that's going to be millions and millions of people all over the world. It starts with individual invitations, and it will always be that way. That Jesus comes to individuals and says, come with me, follow me, come, become part of this community. And so we find on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 are what? It doesn't say saved. It doesn't say converted. It says 3,000 were what? Added. They were added. They were added to what? They're added to this people on the move. Added to this moving community that's going to all the earth to preach the gospel. And this is one of those first beautiful kind of gospel invitations. Come with us. Come with us. We're on a journey. Now, the guy who's issuing the invitation is Moses. And we need to just go back and consider Moses and how he started this journey. Because the wonder of it is, dear friends, that when God calls you, you haven't a clue, really, how many lives he's going to involve in your life. The guy sitting up here, like Mike, who's a pastor now, when he got saved, he didn't know he was going to be a pastor. When he began to follow Jesus, he didn't know that's what was going to happen. And when you heard that English voice here, he didn't know he was going to finish up in Texas planting a church in San Antonio. He don't, you don't know when God, what God's got in mind when he calls you. I saw a, a video the other day of Jackie Pullinger, who saw hundreds, maybe thousands saved in Hong Kong. And when that girl got saved, she had no idea. She had no idea how many lives were going to be affected by her life. And when you get saved, and when you respond wholeheartedly to the call of Jesus in a thoroughgoing way, there is no limit to what God is investing in your life and the implications of an obedient life. So this story really, although it begins with Abraham, we'll refer to that later, at this stage it kind of starts in Moses. And in the New Testament passage, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where there it refers back and says all these things happened to them, this journey happened to them as an example. It's written, written down for our instruction. It's, it, it tells us that 
it started in this man, and it says they were all baptized into Moses in the sea and in the cloud. They're baptized into Moses. What does that mean? It means something had happened to Moses before, and Moses is a type of Jesus. And it says in Deuteronomy 18, 18, there will come another one like me, Moses said. Another one like me. People will be baptized into Christ. They'll be baptized into his person, into his mission, into all that he is. Their identity, as we sang about, remember your identity, which is a lot of what we're going to talk about this morning. Remember your identity. If you don't remember your identity, you'll wander off. Thank God I'm no longer a slave. I'll wander off. No, we're called to something. We're called not just out of slavery, but into something. They were baptized into Moses. Now, Moses, we're told, was born at a time when Israel was suffering terrible persecution, genocide. When Joseph first went down to Egypt, he was honored. He gave prophetic revelation to Pharaoh. He was invited to bring his whole family into Egypt. The whole family came in. He had 11 brothers, wives, children, some 70 of them moved in. They were honored, respected because of Moses, because of Joseph. But then the years passed by and pharaohs came and went until at this time it says there were 600,000 men. It's generally regarded probably 2 million people with women and children. Now there's 2 million in his nation and he's getting alarmed at this growing nation within his nation. And so he comes to this draconian Decision, kill the male babies, destroy them, wipe them out. So Moses was born at a terrifying time. But he was born into a believing home. That's a massive privilege, isn't it? To be born into a believing home. Not a religious home, a believing home. Sometimes we kind of... uh, we don't like that truth. You know, if you're raised in a Christian home, you kind of think, yeah, you want to give your testimony. You want to say, I was such an evil, gross person. Then I met the Lord. I've got this amazing testimony. But you got saved when you were seven. <laughs> yeah, your parents led you to Christ or something. You say, when I was seven, I gave up my evil ways. <laughs> you think, oh, what a bore. No, no. It's a massive privilege to be born into a believing home. And in Hebrews 11, his parents get mentioned before Moses does, by faith. They hid the child, by faith. Their lives were governed by faith. That's the greatest blessing you can give your children, to let your lives be governed by faith. The way you make your choices, the kind of job you take, the location you live, All the decisions you make, they're by faith. Your children will catch the slipstream. Your children will realize church going is not just a hobby my parents do. It's not just my dad sells insurance, he's got a nice house, and we go to church on Sundays. No, 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 they'll detect if that's what it is. But if they say, no, no, everything actually is caught up in this, that we believe God. Every decision we make is lined up there. And that's how it was for Moses. He was born into a believing home. Not many were still believing at that time. This was not a nation of believers. They were backslidden. It says they were worshiping the gods of Egypt. It was a bit like when Jesus was born. There weren't many Jews still believing. Just one or two here and there. Zechariah, Mary, those lovely chapters at the beginning of Luke. Simeon, just a handful of believers. Well, here's a couple of real believers. 
And so when this boy is born, they, 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 they love him, they care for him. By faith, they keep him. You remember the story. They hand him over ultimately to Pharaoh's daughter, and she gives them back and says, you raise him. And it's hysterical, really. So Pharaoh's paying the fee for the raising of the deliverer who's coming through. He's paying for him to be educated by his parents. And his parents say to him, Moses, we are God's people. We carry history in our hands. God promised our forefather Abraham through us, through his seed, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. We are God's plan of global salvation. This is the way God's going to bless the world, through us. And somehow they had such faith, they communicated that to Moses. They really captured his heart. They really believed it. Now, <laughs> there wasn't much evidence. You think, we're God's people? I thought we looked like a load of slaves. We don't have any authority. We're not impressive. No one is saying, wow, look at these people. We are in bondage. We're not allowed to do anything. We haven't got, uh, we haven't got uh, career plans. We're not planning next year's vacation. We're not getting a new vehicle. I mean, look at us. No, we're God's people. Abraham was promised. The God of glory appeared to our father, Abraham. He promised us we are his people. That's the way God planned to bless the world. He wasn't blessing in Australia. He wasn't blessing in Mexico or in Russia. It's this people, this unique people. He's come to us. But there was so little evidence of that at that time. There's no glowing cloud of glory that hasn't come yet. The pillar of glory that goes before them, that hasn't come. This is just a slave community. Their backs being beaten. We are God's people. And these people held on to that with faith. And they raised Moses with that. And then they had to give him back. He went into Pharaoh's household. And in Pharaoh's household, he's, he's sent away, really, to Egypt University. And all those things he was taught by his parents are challenged by what he can see in Egypt. And Egypt has got all the prestige. It's the most powerful nation in the world. People still, still study Egyptology of that period. It was an amazing nation. The architecture, medicine, all kinds of things. They broke through a phenomenal community. Very visible, powerful army. No one could withstand them. This is this. Here we are. And so Moses has got these two worldviews in his mind. He's got the worldview his parents told him. We are God's answer to the world. The Messiah is going to come from us. God's salvation to the ends of the earth is going to come through us. We carry the light of the world. And this community that says, hey, look at the power. Look at these pyramids. Look at this tremendous prestige. Look at the power we've got. And, and Moses has these two value systems wanting his heart. Perhaps you're still there. Perhaps you're living between those two world systems. The one that says, hey, this is tangible. Come on, taste it, touch it. And this one that's kind of invisible and you can't see it. And Well, who knows? And it's all kind of promises. And it says Moses... In Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, when Moses was mature, 
Not a child. Not doing because his parents said, no, stop it, Moses. You're, not, you're good Hebrew. No, no, by faith. I love it. See, we tend to associate Moses with law, but the Bible says by faith. By faith. He saw something. By faith, he refused all that was on offer. We tend to associate with certain kinds of Christianity. By faith, you can get as much as you like. Why don't you join a faith, you know, have Jesus and this, and he'll make you prosperous, and Jesus will do this for you. You can have the best this, and you have the best that. And you can really, by faith, Moses turned down everything on offer. He refused the whole thing. He saw through it. He saw it was temporary. It says he saw, he lived as seeing the unseen. There's a people on planet Earth who've seen the invisible. And it's mastered our lives. It's mastered our lives. It's not just a hobby. It's mastered us. And Moses was like that. He had, he had everything. He could have anything he wanted. The wealth, the power, the prestige. Anything he wanted. And by faith, not by guilt, not by manipulation, not by bullying, by faith. No, no, no. I don't want something that's only for a little while, that won't last very long, that's not eternally significant. I don't want to invest my life in a world that is passing away, that isn't here for much longer, that in the end of the book of Revelation it says, Babylon, that great city, in one hour it's gone. In one hour, that great city, Babylon, that great world system, personified in Egypt at that time, personified in other great cities through church, through Bible history. That great city, that great city, it's gone. You can invest yourself in that. You can have temporary wealth. You can have temporary prestige, but it's going. And Moses saw through all that by faith. He didn't feel this as a sacrifice. He didn't feel, gosh, how sacrificial I'm being. By faith, he understood that's not going to last long. And it says he lived as one who's seen the unseen. There should be that about you, dear friends, that makes people ask questions. What is it with him? My, my sister worked for a solicitor, in uh, a lawyer. I forgot what words you use in this country. <laughs> an attorney, okay? She worked in an office. And, uh, and her boss, she was witnessing to him. And she heard I was a full-time guy, you know, I'm a pastor. And uh, so he said, I'd like to speak to your brother about all this, because she's witnessing. And then he came to speak to me. And he said, your, your sister is the best secretary we've got in the office. She's the best we've had. But when she talks about some things, it's like she comes from another planet. It's not because she's got, you know, she's so heavenly minded, she's useless. No, 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 no. She's the best. But when you talk about some things, it's like she's from another planet. And that should be how it is with us. That we've seen something that others, that people should be saying, is there something you can see I can't see? Well, what do you, what is, it, it affects you, it affects your anxiety. When anxiety sweeps through the office, when uh, challenges come, money, problems, family difficulties, neighbor, all sorts of, we hit the same problems. 
Jesus said the guy builds his house on the sand, another guy builds his house on the rock. They look exactly the same. The storm hits both. It's not like if you follow Jesus, no storms. No, you get plenty of storms. Plenty of storms. Jesus even sends you into storms. Following Jesus, there's no guarantee you won't hit a storm. It's what happens when the storm comes and how we appear. There's, a, there's another value system in us that, that holds us, that comforts us, that gives us peace and assurance because we've seen something that's very different. And so this nation is birthed in a guy who's made that decision. He's seen through what there was and now he's following God. And then he has that phenomenal encounter with God, you recall, I'm sure, where he goes to investigate a burning bush. I mean, just fire bursting out of this bush. And it's not consumed. I guess in that desert condition, sometimes bushes went off in flames, smoke, gone. This one isn't consumed. And that's the thing. It's, what is this? What's, what is this? He goes to it and hears the voice of God. Moses, wow. This God who appeared to Abraham is now coming to me. This God who I, I, I just heard about, and I'm persuaded it's true. I'm persuaded it's true. I've taken on board what my parents, but I believe it. Now he's got his own personal encounter. Beloved, it's worth believing a good promise. It's worth believing truth. It's worth building your life on what God has promised. But it's wonderful when you have your own personal encounter where he calls your name. And now, from now on, Moses has not only made a good choice, from now on he's captivated by an encounter. God appears to him and says, now go and get these people. Go and bring out my people and bring them to this mountain. Go and bring them to me. And who are these people then? These are these people. So they're on their journey now. They're baptized into Moses in the sea and in the cloud. They're on a journey. They're shaped up. They're formed up. They're going through the wilderness. And then they encounter this guy, Hobab. He's called Jethro in other passages, but it's the same guy, his father-in-law. And he gives you this invitation, come with us. That's really the gospel invitation, come with us. We'll do you good. The Lord's promised good for us. What he does for us, he'll do for you. It's a tremendous inclusive thing. Come into the blessing and favor of God. Come into the community that God is blessing. Come and be part of us. It's not that individualistic thing. You know, you need to find God for yourself. And then you know you might like to pop into this church and occasionally that church and you can download stuff. No, no, come and be in. Come and be with us. Come and be part of us. And we'll open that up a bit more tomorrow. But come with us. And I think if I was Hobab, I think I'd say, who are you? If someone knocked your door, come with me. What would what, you say? I think I'd say, who are you? That's a perfectly legitimate question. Who are you? Well, we've begun to answer that. Who were they? Who were these people? Who are these strangers? Who's this crowd moving through? Well, who are they? They're Abraham's kids. They're the ones that somehow God has chosen. The mystery of God's choice. We have to settle for that, beloved, and delight in it, actually. Jesus said this, you didn't choose me. I chose you. He gathered these disciples, 
And he said, I, I chose you. I initiated this. It was he who saw Peter and said, come follow me. He started it. And if you're a believer, it's because he started it. It's because he initiated. Because he, and if you began to get awakened, and it may be even here, you've come to this conference and you're not quite sure yet. But the very fact you're here, this sense of, it, it's not your choice, it's his choice. There comes the moment when you say yes, but it's he who starts it, it's he who begins it. I find that so encouraging. Brian brought us that great word on perseverance last night. I find one of the greatest clues to perseverance is this, God started it. It wasn't my idea. That holds me. That keeps me going. Because if I started it, I can stop it. If I decided it, I can decide to walk away. But if I know, no, no, God began this thing. And when we start our church plants and we hit the problems and all the things that Brian addressed last evening, the heartache, the setbacks, knowing that God started it, I found it such a huge, huge blessing. When I was uh, in my first church pastoring and I, we were having such problems. I, mean, I was laying hands on people, they're getting filled with the Spirit. And, and people begin to speak in tongues. And one of the really strange ladies in the church, I mean, really quite a strange lady. And she heard what was beginning to happen. And she knocked my front door. And I went to the front door. And her opening line was this. I want the tongues. <laughs> you want the tongues. Well, she came in. I went through the word, laid hands on her. She got the tongues. <laughs> And she became a big problem from then on. Cause, woo! And uh, you know, I'm trying to lead some. I'm trying to lead some conservative evangelicals into life in the spirit. And mad ladies got the tongues. Oh. So could I say to her, "No, you're a bit too crazy for this, dear." No, she got the tongues. I mean, Jesus gives the gifts of the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Hallelujah. It was difficult. <laughs> So you have to kind of, sometimes you think, God, this is terrible. And I, I remember one time, the, the, the guys who invited me, the senior people in the church, and I'm in my 20s, and, you know, church planting's barely started. We're going back to the ancient, you know. And, uh, uh, and I love that thing. Somebody said, not young, but and it was so beautifully measured, the comment that was made by Mike. Mature and experienced. <laughs> he was just about to say old, and he said mature and experienced. I thought, oh, well done, Mike. I feel... <laughs> I felt so comforted by that. But I, I, the, the, these guys who are like 20 years older than me, they invited me to come and be the pastor. And, uh, you know, you begin to learn, as Peter Wagner says, you know, they are the city elders, you're the witch doctor. You know, you do the religious stuff, preach, baptize, and who's running the place? Not you, John. And it was pretty powerful stuff and painful stuff. And, and you know, things were, it took like four years for us to transform from a very formal evangelical church to becoming a church full of the presence of God. And there were times of setback and disappointment. And I, and I wrote a letter one day. I wrote this letter. I said, uh, dear brothers, I can't see how God could ever bless a church where the leadership is so divided. I can't see how God... So I'm writing to resign. I wrote it longer and better than that. And when I finished it, I felt God said to me, very good. Yeah. And, I, and he said, uh, did I tell you to write that? Uh, no, Lord. That's right. Throw it away. <laughs> and I screwed it up and threw it away. Because I knew God had called me. I knew God started it. 
I knew I wasn't a free agent. I didn't start it. I can't walk away. And God brought us through in his mercy. When you know God initiated it, God started. So God started with Abraham. God started with Isaac. He chose Isaac, not Ishmael. He chose Jacob, not Esau. Is this, well, God's, God says what he's going to do. And I don't want us to be stumbling over that. I want us to celebrate his incredible kindness. It didn't mean that Jacob had an easier life than Esau. He had a terribly tough life. But he was God's chosen. And to just be filled with wonder. When, when they say, who, who are you then? Who are you? Well, one of the things we have to feel is this. God's called us. God's called us. It's God who started this thing. That's what gives dignity what's happening here. We're a crowd of people in the hotel singing. We're the people of God. He's called you. He chose you. He pre-planned it. He's for you. It's so important for us to know that. This I know, the psalmist says, God is for me. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that on Monday morning when you wake up? This I know. God is for me. When you walk into your workplace, when it's tough, when your boss is harsh, when the kids are giving difficult, this I know, God is for me. It's huge. They could say, well, yeah, God chose us. And God said some amazing things about us. So we find that God says, I've set my love upon you. And I, and I love you. You're my chosen. And he uses incredible language. It says in Deuteronomy 7, I've not chosen you because you're the biggest or the most significant. That's not why I've chosen you. You get this wonderful sort of circular thing. The Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than other people. You were the fewest of people. But because the Lord loved you. He loves you because, yes, yes, because he loves you. Huh? It's a kind of mystery. And he set his love on you. These are the Lord's beloved. And he uses language like this. Out of Egypt I've called my son. We were nothing. We were trash. We were enemies. And he's made us into sons. He's predestined you to adoption as a son. You're brought right into the family. We're sons. He uses the most intimate language. He's my son. He talks in betrothal terms. That's like Israel is, is almost like the wife of God. He takes them to Mount Sinai. He makes covenant promises to them. He says, this is how you're to walk now. You're mine. The verse that was spoken early, right at the very beginning of the meeting, when we're called to worship, was, I have called you out of Egypt. That was the opening line. These people have been redeemed by God. They're His. He's called us. And that should give you such comfort, dear friends, such security. Paul argues these things again and again in his epistles. Know who you are. Know your identity. If we don't know our identity, we just, as some people we keep on calling us sinners, we say, oh, Christians are just sinners. They forget our identity. They will insist that Christians are still sinners. I saw this poster. It said, Christians, a Christian is one sinner telling another sinner where he can find bread. We're not just sinners. If we were just sinners, why does Paul write his letters like he does? Like in Philippians, you know, to the sinners in Philippi, together with the elders and deacons. Huh? To the sinners in Philippi? No, to the saints. What does saint mean? It means holy ones. 
See, we know, we know that saints are not dead Christians. You know, we just heard that one of the earlier popes has been made into a saint. Well, bully for him, okay? So, <laughs> see, you have to be dead. And, uh, and if you've got one or two miracles, someone prayed, you know, woo, he's a saint. And you have to be in a glass window, colored, you know. No, we're all saints. We know that, don't we? We know that. The Bible says we're all saints. Now, what does saint mean? It means holy ones. So if at the beginning of the meeting I said, right, let's let the holy ones stand and worship, I think we might think, who's going to stand? The holy ones. <laughs> That's who we are. We're God's holy ones. God's called ones. God has given us a new identity. Who are we? Well, we're God's chosen. And it's interesting, on this journey, they come across a, a false prophet called Balaam. And someone tries to pay him money. Will you curse Israel? Curse Israel. Because he's supposed to be some powerful kind of supernatural guy. And they, he says, give me the money, I'll curse them. And he goes out and he, he, he I can't curse them. And I love those stories. comes just a few chapters later than the one we're looking at. And he says, he goes to curse them and he says, who can speak against them? The Lord sees no iniquity in them. They're rising up like a wild horse, a wild creature. Who will stand before them? And the guy says, I paid you money to curse them. He said, the Lord is blessed. I can't curse. This is the blessed people of God. When you go to your workplace, you're part of the blessed people of God. When you move into that new street and buy that house, you're moving in as God's blessing to that neighborhood. With a ble- who Come with us. Who are you? Well, actually, God called me. God chose us. God's with us. God's for us. Who are we? Well, we're the chosen of God. That's who they were. That's, that's the beginning of our identity. God appeared to Abraham. God called us. And then secondly, they could say this. Then God showed us infinite mercy. Because God judged all that was happening in Egypt at that time. He swept through Egypt and, and brought horrific judgment on all that was happening there. There was so much idolatry. They're worshiping the Nile. They're worshiping the sun. They're worshiping all sorts of nonsense. And Israel was taking part in that. It says in the Bible, they were taking part in that. And God says, right, my judgment's going to sweep right through the nation. I will kill. This is after several other plagues. You know the story and how they were resistant in spite of these phenomenal plagues. God says, right, the ultimate, the ultimate. I will kill the firstborn of every family. And this, the angel of death comes sweeping through the nation. But the Israelites were told this. Take a lamb, has to be a spotless one, and slaughter it. Take its blood and put it round your doorposts. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And they, say, they could say this, we hid under the blood of the Lamb. Who are you? We're people who hid. You mean you were better than those people? You're better than the Egyptians? No, we weren't better, actually. We were no better than them. We worshipped their gods. But we were told, take an innocent Lamb and put the blood round your doorpost. And when God sees the blood, it completely pass over. 
It's done. You're okay. Judgment is passed. And I guess some would have been in their household and they're trembling and they're terrified and they're thinking, oh God, is it going to come to us? Is it going to come? Perhaps taking their baby, their firstborn in their arms. Oh God. But the blood is outside the door. And I'm sure it wasn't for them to open the door and look at the blood and think, doesn't do much for me. No, the blood, God says, when I see the blood, we're often trying to feel the value of the blood of the Lamb. Maybe we feel we've sinned and we, we're trying to think, well, I'm, I'm trying to feel, no, put me under the, no, no. We, we need to learn the blood of the Lamb is for God to see. Put it outside. You hide inside, you put it outside. It's the same on the Day of Atonement. You can't enter the holy place but bring the blood into the holiest of all where God sees the blood. He's satisfied. He knows the value of the blood of the Lamb. He knows it's totally perfect. And that's what gives us peace. We have peace through the blood of the Lamb. We are justified freely as a gift. Do you know that? Justified freely. We've been singing songs that say it. It's so wonderful to wake up in the morning and know I'm justified. It's not because, well, I had a really good quiet time this morning. I really prayed my heart out. You impressed, Lord? Prayed for 20 minutes this morning. You know, read my passage. Pretty good. So often we become Christians and then we try and walk with God according to how well we feel we're doing. Am I keeping it up? Do I keep the rules well? Do I, do I keep up the procedures well? No, no, no. God says, when I see the blood, you're fully justified. You're fully accepted. In fact, it says in Hebrews, we've been perfected for all time. He has perfected. See, it says of the, uh, in contrast to the Old Testament priests who could never sit down because they had to offer another lamb. Hebrews says they keep on offering a lamb after a lamb. They can never sit down. Jesus, after one offering, sat down. Having perfected for all time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Isn't it a restful place to be? To know, hey, I've been perfected for all time. Wake up in the morning, hallelujah. I've been perfected for all time. That's, how, that's who you are. You've been perfected. There is, no, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There isn't any. It's a done deal. And the Lamb gets all the glory. Because He did it. He did it. Our spotless, innocent Lamb. This one who became human. This one who learned obedience. This man who fought his way through Calvary, through Gethsemane, this wonderful, wonderful man, this God who became man, he took the guilt. He took all the handwriting that was against you, all, all the handwriting. The Bible says this, God will remember everything, everything, everything. He took all the handwriting that was against you and nailed it to his cross and disarmed the principalities and powers. The prince, of, see, the, the prince of the power of the air, he's always accusing you. You call yourself a Christian. 
You, wow, you're terrible. You, you, all the handwriting that was against you, bang, 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 it's nailed to his cross, and he defeats. They can't accuse you anymore. The accuser of the brothers has been hurled down forever. Hallelujah. Who are you? We're people who are innocent. You're innocent? Yeah. We've been perfected for all time. What? That's how God sees us. In Christ. They were baptized into Moses. We have been baptized into Christ, our perfect righteousness. His spotless righteousness is accredited to me. Hallelujah. I can be at rest. I can celebrate the Savior. I can enjoy salvation. I'm not working at it. He worked at it. I'm not trying to impress God. I found someone who impressed him on my behalf. Hallelujah, Jesus. We're hidden in Jesus. All our guilt has been taken away. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to breathe the fresh air? No guilt. It's gone. Do you know that this morning? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. You're free. It's all over. It's finished. It's not a halfway job. I bring you this far. You work out the rest. No, no, you're through. He's made you righteous as a gift. They could say, we're the ones who hid under the blood of the Lamb. Then what else? Well, actually, we were in slavery. They had this experience, dear friends. God, you've forgiven us. Death swept through the camp. It didn't touch us. We're accepted. Death has passed. It's it's gone. Death is history. Judgment's behind us. Hallelujah. And then we go to leave the land. Whoa, what's this? Red Sea. We can't get any further. We're locked in. Hey, I can't get further. And here comes Egypt's army. Oh, there's no escape after all. I'm forgiven, but I'm still a slave. Here comes the Egyptians. There's no escape. That's what I used to think as a young Christian. Thank you for forgiveness, but how can I escape all this slavery? This horrible sin that seems to capture me. This kind of inevitable yielding to temptation. I'm supposed to be a Christian And I do it again. I'm supposed to be a believer, but I keep messing up. I'm still in the land. I'm still in a. I'm still in slavery. Thanks for forgiveness, but is there no deliverance? That's the way I used to pray so much. God, is there deliverance for me? And that's what happened to these people. They're shut in. They can't get out. And then we know what happened. Moses stands with his staff. And God says, see the salvation of God. And the sea opens. And they go down into a kind of death and come up into a kind of resurrection. Paul teaches on that in Romans 6. But it's all based on this. It's all based on the exodus. The exodus is a huge turning point in redemption history. It's where they got freed. And Jesus frees us from the power of sin. He doesn't only forgive us, he frees us. How does he do that? By dying on the cross. And the Bible says this, when he died on the cross, we died to the power of sin. And we were raised with him to newness of life. He went through that death and resurrection. Moses took this people through the Red Sea into new life. Jesus experienced it. The Bible says we were in him. It says we were crucified 
with him. We died with him. That sin preoccupation, that, that sin power was broken by what Jesus did for us. We have been crucified with Christ. It's great news. All that terrible bondage to sin, that, that inevitability that we will sin, that preference for sin, that preoccupation with sin, it's broken. We have now a new identity. We are new creatures who sadly sometimes sin. We are not sinners trying to be holy. If we don't get hold of that new identity, we will never know the joy of the freedom that Jesus has won for us. Romans chapter 6 says so plainly, we were crucified with him. Jesus did it all. Jesus paid the price. Jesus set us free. Jesus died to sin's power and freed us. And we were crucified with him. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible teaches. How many are here believe two men were crucified with him? Loads of us believe that, don't we? Two men were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. That's what it says in the Bible. Why do you believe two men were crucified with Christ? It says so in the Bible. It also says in the Bible, I was crucified with him. I've got the same reason for believing it. Then it says this, he who has died is freed from sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Amen? That's the good news, beloved. We've been released. Come with us. We'll do you good. God has freed us. God has done a big tie. He's broken sin's power. That's why we can say to sinners, come. And people getting saved. I mean, a lot of people being saved in prison in England through the Alpha program. And, and people, you know, not just nice people. To make, no, people who are terribly in the power of evil. Thugs. Changed. I saw some testimonies recently from the Alpha program when they were at the Royal Albert Hall in London. And these guys, they're not only whole, they're not only, they just gave testimony. He was in prison, he was a thug. Not only is he saved, he's laying hands on people and they're getting healed. I said, I'll come into a new life. Jesus has ushered us into a completely new life. Beloved, we're saying to people, come with us, come with us. That's the testimony of the platform here this morning. Come with us. We'll do you good. Who are you? Who are you? Well, God, God touched us. God interrupted our lives. See, we need good news preached to us. We need to get the news clear before we get told to do stuff. When we understand who we are, we can start living this new life. We are people whom God has interrupted the way we used to live. He's put that to death. And he's given us a new life. He said, you're not guilty. You're righteous. And sin no longer has power over you. You're free. And beloved, it, it says this. The just shall live by faith. It says this. You shall know the truth. And the truth will free you. It's knowing that truth it frees you. We're free. Not only that, we're on a journey. And we'll look more closely at that tomorrow morning. Where are we going? Come with us. Who are you? Where are you going? What happens if I join you? We'll look at those questions tomorrow. Let's stand, please. Let's stand. We're going to sing and praise the Lord as we close. Let's just stand before the Lord.
Lord, we're so thrilled to hear these testimonies this morning. We're so thrilled to hear people being invited. Come with us. We're so thrilled that we've got something worth sharing. We're so thrilled that we've left behind where we used to be. Thank you, Lord. But like Moses, we've seen through the temporary nature of what's on offer. Even for him, all the riches of Egypt. <laughs> Lord, we thank you. You've set us free from every other thing that we've seen through it. We thank you. We've been captivated by the unseen. We're persuaded by the unseen. We're so grateful, Lord, that it's, it's Lord, like Abraham, he saw a city. Lord, we thank you. We've seen, we've seen something worth going for. Something, Lord, that's going to grow and grow across the nations, across the states of America, into city after city, beyond that into nation <coughs> after nation. We thank you. You're calling people out of slavery into freedom. Oh, Father, thank you for your power to set captives free. Thank you for the wonder of being, Lord, not just getting personally saved, but being joined to a people on the move, a people following the cloud of your glory. Oh, Father, bless us while we're here this weekend. Let these truths captivate us, stir us, motivate us, set us free. Father, I pray for any this morning who still see themselves as sinners, still feel there's a kind of inevitability that I will sin. Temptation has such power. Lord, I ask you, open the eyes of our heart to see what the gospel says. You've set us free. Lord, help us to joyfully invite others to join us on our walk of freedom into our inheritance. Lord, bless this word to us, I pray. Bless us over this weekend. We pray as we, uh, Lord, lunch and have our relaxation time through the day together. Lord, may we know we're a people. Just as this uh, people marching, some in the ahead, some at the tail, some carrying the holy objects, Lord, we just pray, let us know we're a people caught up with God. Lead us on, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.